0: You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at In Focus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.
1: God is great. We are so privileged to be able to worship him, to gather together in his name. I was thinking about letters from home. Some of you don't know what those are. Because before the dawn of electronic communication and immediate communication there was nothing quite as comforting or centering as receiving a letter from home from a loved one while you were off somewhere that was foreign to you or maybe a new place that you were living temporarily. I remember those days of being homesick. I remember those days of being lovesick. And waiting for that letter, whether it was when I was in college or waiting for a letter from mom or dad, or whether it was later on and waiting for a letter from my future wife, Carla, it would just help remind me that, yeah, I wasn't home, but I was loved. If you're a believer here today, this would be a good day to get a letter from home. A letter from Jesus Because we're far from home, without him in this world, we're lovesick. Tragically, yet again, our world faces another wave of atrocities thought up and carried out by human beings against other human beings. There's hatred and malice that overflows out of human hearts that end up displaying that hatred and malice with pure evil. It started with demonically influenced violence and degenerate acts against innocent people in Israel, which have now been viciously answered with war, violence, and more death of people made in the image of God. The conflicts, divisions, and murder that marks the kingdom of darkness seems to be having its way, but such is the life those who live in Babylon and that's where we live it's always been this way this isn't something new but I am here with a letter from home To remind us, just as we sang a moment ago, that Satan, as portrayed in the book of Revelation as the dragon, and death do not have the final word in this life. We are not to fear. Why? Because God so loved this world that He sent His one and only Son to make us overcomers in Christ. Which leads us perfectly into Jesus' testimony in the book of Revelation. Because every letter to all seven churches ends with the same exhortation and the motivation to remain faithful to Jesus, faithful to the gospel, while living in the destruction of Babylon. To those who overcome, to those who are victorious, to those who conquer, God promises eternal life this reminds me of James chapter 1 verse 12 blessed is the one who perseveres under trial having stood the test that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him as we start week three of our series dear church in the book of revelation I want you to know this is not a series about end times in Armageddon though I'm sure that will be preached somewhere today This is a series about how the book of Revelation was speaking to the seven churches, as John wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to give the testimony of Jesus about what Jesus was seeing in these churches and what he was saying to them as a result. And what he said to those churches then can now be looked at in our own churches and our own lives today to see what Jesus has for us. Therefore, we're not reading Revelation like a crystal ball, but we're reading Revelation as an x-ray to look deep inside our hearts and minds, specifically to the church and specifically to In Focus Church today. Can we remain faithful to Jesus and the gospel while still living in Babylon? The irony that we're in a series on Revelation, while all these horrific and heinous acts have been taking place this week, is not lost on me. Babylon is always with us, and it represents all the evil this world has to offer, particularly when it comes to hatred and division among those that God created in his image. Think about that for just a moment, that God created us to bear his image in the earth, and Despite that, despite the call on our lives to bear his image in the earth, we continually choose the wrong bearing. What I mean by that is we continue to bear false witness against one another. We continue to bear up arms against one another instead of bearing with one another and bearing each other's burdens seems to be that our goal is to bury our enemies as opposed to what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and that is to bless those who cursed you do good to those who hate you not my words Jesus's words but for those who have ears to hear To those who overcome, to those who are victorious, we have to let God's word examine our lives to see if we are being the dissident disciples who continue to live out and proclaim the gospel that Jesus died for us to do. What does dissident mean? It means those who oppose the official policy, particularly of an authoritarian state. In this case, those who oppose the official policy of the enemy of our God in this world. Let's read our text today. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and we're reading the letter to the church at Pergamum. This is the third letter that we've looked at. It says this, starting in verse 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. You also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, I want you to remember this morning that each of these seven letters that we're going to look at, for the most part, all include an affirmation, a correction, and then motivation. This is actually normative for the Word of God in our lives. This is the pattern of God's word in our lives, or at least it should be. Whether you realize it or not, can I just tell you how much the church continues to need affirmation, correction, and motivation. In fact, as we gather today, I hope that you receive affirmation. I really do. I want you to be encouraged today by the word of God. God wants to encourage you through his word because we all need it in this community of faith called the church. In order to stand firm, we need to be affirmed in our faith. By one another, by God's word, there's nothing quite like the affirmation that comes from other dissidents, other chosen exiles, if you will, other brothers and sisters in Christ who had the same heart and the same mission to encourage each of us to press on towards the goal in Christ Jesus. Don't give up. Hebrews 3.13 comes to mind But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, which is what was taking place in this church. Hold your conviction, basically, Hebrews says, to the very end. And that's when we gather together today to look at each other in the eye, to look into God's word. Let him look into our hearts and say, hold on to the conviction of your faith to the end. But I also want you to receive correction today didn't just come to receive affirmation oh I I know I know that's where a lot of us stop but whoa whoa. I just came to be blessed today pastor just came to be affirmed and encouraged in what I already believe but I'm here to tell you you're here to receive correction today and I hope you realize that you need that as well and if you don't realize that you need correction we're in trouble there is nothing quite as stunted in spiritual growth than a Christian who cannot be corrected anymore it becomes so easy to go from teachable to the unreachable because of pride or apathy or in the case of the church of Pergamum, worldliness and a hardening of a heart because of sin that we've accepted in our midst. Remember, when we gather together around the Word of God, it is for what? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us exactly what it is for. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, here we go, teaching, rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped i'm going to emphasize that thoroughly equipped for every good work here's what i think i think you can come and be affirmed this morning and be equipped but if you're not corrected you won't be thoroughly equipped for the good work that god has called you to do you're going to reject correction and rebuking yeah i don't like that teaching and training in righteousness that's fine You won't be thoroughly equipped. Then, lastly, the spiritual training ends with motivation. Why? Because after I get corrected, I need some motivation. I think we all do. And God says, I know because I created you, I know your frame. You don't just go with correction. There's some motivation. And it's, what are we doing this for? We're doing this for the glory of God, for the glory of the one whose name we worship today. We do it for him, but also for our good God who has an eternal home beyond our ability to comprehend its beauty and its splendor. There's a heavenly home where our reward will be great while we're still living in Babylon. We have to remember that is our motivation. Somebody needs to wake up in here this morning because this is the truth of God's word to help encourage us. Let's go back and look at the specifics of this three-part spiritual training, if you will. The affirmation, the correction, and the motivation that's given to the church at Pergamum. What What was the affirmation? What was the correction? What is the motivation? And how does it speak to us today? First of all, verse 13, the affirming part, the part we all like, the part we all enjoy. I know where you live where Satan has his throne. I don't know where you live today, but I don't know if anybody, hey, you know where you live? Where Satan has his throne. I mean, I don't care what bad part of the neighborhood you might've found yourself in, I don't know if it's where Satan has his throne. They feel like that at times. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city. And just in case you forgot, your city where Satan lives. Here's, a, here's really what is, is being said in, in, kind of in a more colloquial manner. Hey, I know your church is in Satan's backyard, so great job on remaining true to my name. I know Antipas was put in a bronze kettle and slowly roasted to death for not worshiping the emperor or compromising his faithfulness to the gospel. So for you not to renounce your faith in, such, in the face of such opposition, that is commendable. <laughs> And here's where I go, yeah, I kind of think then then they get a pass. If they stood up under the test of seeing their brother, it was kind of like one of the first martyrs that we we believe or understand historically in the church who was roasted to death in a copper kettle because he didn't worship the emperor. If they stood up under that test, I kind of feel like you get a pass. You're not going to get corrected today. But here's the good news of the gospel church and why I don't care how you came in here this morning, none of us get a pass when it comes to the correction of the Lord. And all of us should go, yes, I want to be corrected by God. Why? Because he loves us too much to let our victories lead to vanity. Because that's what we like to do. Well, look what I did. So don't I get a pass? Isn't that how some of us act in our homes? Well, I took the trash out. So can I sit here in this chair the rest of the day? Well, God, look what I did. So don't I get a pass on this? I know it's not exactly holy, but it's not all that bad. And I did stand up under persecution. We love to point to our good qualities. And so does God. That's what he did. That's what he starts with. He's pointing to their good qualities first. He loves to do that. But then it's not at the expense of neglecting the areas. We still need refining and we still need holiness. So since Satan can't get the church to fold under persecution and threat of death from the outside, he tries another route of temptation in Pergamum, and that is from the inside. He deceives the church into apathy and compromise within their own lives through false teaching and spiritualized sin. I'll get into that a little bit more. What the heck is spiritualized sin? Oh, it's just what we do to rationalize things that don't honor God. This is for us, church. Listen up. If Satan can't get you to renounce your faith one way, he just tries another way. He doesn't give up. He doesn't move on. This is who he is. He is a destroyer. He tries something else. If he can't defeat us from the outside with persecution, he'll try to destroy us from the inside with division. That's why victory in one area of your life doesn't make you immune to temptation and attack in all areas of your life. So be willing, hear me, be willing to be corrected, or as we just sang from our hearts, be willing to be refined, to be made holy as he is holy. Let us be the type of church that actually shows up on Sunday and doesn't just cry out for affirmation, but cries out for correction as well. God, as the psalmist, see if there be any wicked way in me, anything in me that's not like you, God, and show me and correct me. So here comes the correction. Nevertheless, verse 14, even though you've, under- you've withstood all of this craziness in Babylon, I have a few things against you. There's some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you, have also, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I don't have time to contextualize everything here in this letter, but even though this letter is not to us, I want us to see how it's for us what Jesus is saying to us today, summarizing the problem, the church in Pergamon had allowed heretical teaching to gain ground in the church that was counter to the gospel. And the effects of that were people in the church engaging in sexual immorality and idolatry and possibly rationalizing it through some kind of theological calisthenics. And although many in the church, watch this, many, it wasn't that everybody in the church was doing this. There were many that were not. But although there were some, he's not just singling out the specific people who are doing these things. I'm about to meddle. Okay, listen. He was speaking to the entire church. Sometimes we think it is loving to let people alone to let people do what they're doing as a part of the body of Christ, turn our head and ignore destructive patterns or ungodly behaviors in the lives of our spiritual family. Well, I don't want to embarrass them. Well, I don't want to get involved. Well, you know, judge not lest you be judged. I don't want to get to meddling, but God holds us responsible for the health of the body of Christ and our brothers and sisters who make up that body. It is love that compels us to make sure that our body is not slowly dying from the inside out. What I mean is that the gentle rebuke is necessary for correction to be heard and heeded. How else do we fix what God sees in our lives that needs to be fixed? Well, I got just me and God. Sorry, that's not how the body of Christ works. He has given you a family. He has given you leaders. He's given you brothers and sisters, a family larger than you can imagine. One passage that immediately comes to mind from the book of James chapter 4, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. So Christian theology has long spoken about sins of omission and commission. What we fail to do when we know what we should do is just as sinful as actually doing what we know to be wrong. That's what he's saying. Look, I know all of you didn't do this, but you let it go on. This principle is found throughout all of Scripture. This isn't new. What do we think the whole story of the Good Samaritan is about in many ways? One of the main points deals with the sin of omission. I just don't have time to do that. Here's what I believe God is saying to us. What areas of our lives have we become okay with that God is not okay with? What areas in the lives of our brothers and sisters around us in Christ have we ignored in the name of keeping peace when Jesus says there is no true peace apart from him and living according to his word? And I believe that's why Jesus introduced himself at the beginning of this letter as the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. Why? He's saying to the church, just as he could say to us today, that they've lost the ability to discern between right and wrong, good and evil. They can no longer keep the two apart, and they become apathetic to it. So the sword comes in, the living word of Christ, able to separate the light from the darkness, piercing our hearts, striking down what is false. He wields the same sword today through his word, allowing us to use it as a weapon against the false teachings of the world, or if we want to call it modern day Babylon, the can easily infiltrate our churches, our lives, and cause us to compromise our faith. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Pergamum specific issue that we know of was idolatry and sexual immorality. Maybe that's yours today. God, here's here's what I want you to understand. God can forgive you and set you free. There is no sin that Jesus cannot forgive and cleanse us from. So if it's the sexual immorality in this case, whether it's outside of sex, premarital sex, extramarital sex, if it's any of those types of things, there's nothing that God cannot forgive and that Jesus invites you to receive his forgiveness and love so that he can set you free and you can be a part of his church the way that he has died for you to be. It could be any number of things, however, in our lives that look so similar to the culture and the world around us that no one would know that we're any different than Babylon that we're dissident disciples of Jesus because there's nothing dissident about our lives. Are we God's holy people or not? Christians at Pergamum were tempted to compromise their faith. Why? To enjoy the benefits of their Roman citizenship. It's still some of the same things we deal with today. The Roman government tolerated any religious practice that also recognized and worshipped the emperor as a deity. The choice facing the church then was remaining faithful and suffering the cultural and economic consequences or compromising their faith in order to work and prosper in Babylon. See, the enemy is okay with Jesus plus. But The gospel is simply Christ alone. The enemy is okay with Jesus and a few other things that don't honor Jesus. But God said, you're going to have no other gods before. We have to recognize this problem is still relevant for us today just as much as it was for this church. Wherever we compromise our faith to gain some worldly benefit, perhaps some gain of political power or wealth, we are guilty of accepting the false gospel of Jesus plus or Jesus and things that don't honor Jesus. And the church of Pergamum expressed their faith for Christ on one hand, but on the other hand, they compromised when it was convenient or beneficial to them to do so. We've all been there, church, where we've had our faith in Christ on one hand, but then in some other situation, we compromised it because it was beneficial for us at that time to do so. That's what the teaching of Balaam is. So what's the teaching of Balaam? In essence, it's referencing in this letter someone who would seek to justify their actions or their lifestyles inconsistent with the gospel by doing some, as I said a moment ago, theological calisthenics. Meaning when we try to sanctify worldly values by attributing them to God. That sounds kind of weird. I would never do that. Oh, I don't even have time to get into all the ways that we can do this. They did this because they were deceived, the scripture says. Matter of fact, the the Bible calls the devil the deceiver. And the reason that we do things that are incongruent with God's word is because we're deceived. That is the very nature of deception. We don't know. The deceiver deceives us. Why? Because he's good at it. So I want you to just see a little bit what God might be saying to us today. Let's just take an example even from our own history because during the Civil Rights Movement, we say, how do we Christianize things that, that, that aren't Christian? How do we do that? The Bible and Christianity were exploited by people like a Klan leader, Sam Bowers, to justify the violent activity of the Klan while a popular pastor, Douglas Hudgens, used the Klan to ignore the segregation and violence being promoted by the members of his church. By contrast, the civil rights struggle revealed Christians committed to stand against the values of the culture. Babylon, if you will. Black activist Fannie Lou Hamer both forgave her white persecutors and stood for justice in Jesus' name. While white Mississippian Ed King shared in the suffering of his black colleagues, recognizing that if a person calls himself a Christian, he must give up everything in this world and follow Christ. Even closer to home right now is the church's temptation to disciple people into partisan politics, believing somehow that the way to a better world is by sanctifying our political candidate and painting them as the current savior of the world as we know it. But we forget that Babylon will never be New Jerusalem. Babylon cannot be Christianized by political power. I love what one author says, thinking proximity to power will make the church more influential is as likely as the corner shop thinking Amazon will be the source of that business's flourishing again. One can trust that God empowers governments, one can love one's country one can be patriotic one can vote and engage in the political process one can hold political office but that that does not mean that we bend the knee casting our crowns before the government or declaring or swearing our allegiance to anything but to the god of all gods so the only answer for the world today is for the church to be set apart and to transcend the culture that we live in, to proclaim the gospel, which is what? That Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, as 1 Corinthians says. That he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures. We testify with our mouths and lives that Jesus died, rose, ascended, and accomplished our redemption. Or as Revelation would say, the lamb who died for us became the Lord who now fights for us by wielding the sword of his word, the sword that slays the dragon and beats Babylon for good. That's who we serve. So where our lives have compromised in obvious and maybe not so obvious ways, because we were deceived. Or we've been complicit by allowing our brothers and sisters to walk toward destruction without correction. The response by us today is the same as it's going to be each and every time that Jesus shows us where we have become comfortable and compromising in our sin. It's the same invitation every single time. Repent. I don't know where all of a sudden in our lives, or maybe you don't struggle with this, but I think a lot of us do. I don't know where we came up with the idea that repent was a bad thing have to admit, yeah, well I'll have to, yeah, Jesus is there full of love and open arms to receive us, to forgive us, to let His blood cleanse us and wash us whiter than snow so that we can be the holy people that He's called us to be. Repent and be healed. Receive the correction. Repent and be healed. Either we repent of our worldliness, acknowledge its presence and evil, and commit to moving in a godly direction, or as this letter says, we face the divine discipline and the loss of our light-bearing capacity, which is the very purpose for our existence as a church, to bear the light of Christ. I don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose that. We are not going to lose that. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, your initial faith brought you into union with Him. But now it is the continuation of an act of faith from living in the Word of God, feeding on the things of Christ, or as in this letter, the manna of the Word of God, the bread of life that is Jesus Christ that overcomes the world and leads us into an abundance and a sufficiency of Christ's life. A life that has both great rewards now and even greater reward for those who stand and conquer and are victorious in the future. I believe God wants to do something amazing in our church. I believe he wants to do something miraculous and amazing today. There's a lot of things going on today and this is one of them. In whatever area of your life you have compromised, whatever area of your life you've not allowed yourself to be corrected or rebuked or taught or trained, days a day to just say, I repent. We're going to sing a song in just a moment that leads so well into this because it's about our holy God. And the scripture says that we are to be holy as he is holy. And the only way that happens is if we are affirmed by God's word, corrected by God's word, motivated by God's word, to be exactly who Jesus died for you to be, church. In the middle of Babylon, be the light that God's called us to be. I don't know what that is for you today. I don't know what that looks like for you today. I don't know what posture you might take in worship, although I might suggest a bended knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And let him do his work today that only he can do. Come with humility, teachability. Let's repent of anything that is not honoring to God so that we can shine the bright light of Christ as the church that we're called to be. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are holy. And that because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross, because of what you have done, your resurrection, your ascension, and for those who have received that unto their own life and believed and put their hope in you as Savior and Lord, you have called us and made us righteous. That's what you do, God. So in this moment before we sing this last song that I believe God wants to do something powerful in your life, if you will allow him to do so, what I mean by that is if you will come and surrender your heart surrender your life surrender your actions, surrender your thoughts surrender anything and everything in your life right now that is not pleasing to God he wants to do something in your heart and soul he wants to set you free he wants to heal you I don't have time to go through all the things that he wants to heal in this room this morning but he knows and he can Jesus would you have your way would you make this church holy as you are holy so that we can shine brightly as the light that you have called us to be in the darkness while we still live here.
0: Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe. And leave a rating wherever you are listening and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocusChurch.